wish to thank Farm Credit Associations of Florida for sponsoring this episode. Farm Credit is a longstanding partner of FNGLA, and we are very grateful for their support. Welcome back to part two of our conversations with Tommy, Harold, and Aaron. Hello, Aaron. You've been patiently listening. Um, the FNGLA Landscape Certification, you are a, a big supporter of that at Jenkins, um, setting up test sites, doing reviews uh, for not just your employees, but other companies and their employees. Will you share uh, what you feel the benefit is of, of the FNGLA Landscape Certification for you as a company and then as an industry? So when I started, I didn't know anything about landscaping as much as my dad pushed me to become a landscape architect. I uh, vehemently opposed it growing up. And um, so when I graduated college in 2008 in the recession, I couldn't find a job and I started as the box truck driver. (laughs) Oh, I heard (laughs) there's an opening for that job (laughs) at your company now. And I learned that I really enjoy plants. And so I didn't want to go back to college. I had just graduated. What what was your degree in? Criminal justice. Oh, that is a very different path. Yes. I went through the law enforcement academy and was waiting to be hired on with the Martin County Sheriff's Department. And so I didn't want to sit at home doing nothing. So that's when I started driving the box truck and um, doing both. I was actually a reserve deputy. So I was a volunteer uh, deputy and I was my day job was driving the truck. I learned that I really enjoy it and I wanted to learn more. And so I, Chuck Fleming, who's working for us at the time, is like, oh, you should do a certification. Get your horticulture professional. Chuck is uh, FCLC number six, I believe. Yeah, he was far high up there. Yes. Um, so I started studying the manual for the FCHP and I learned that that's how I um, learn. I have to be forced to get the certification to learn the information. That's just kind of my style. And after I got the FCHP, I wanted to do the maintenance technician because at the time we were, we still do, we require all of our uh, maintenance crew leaders to have their maintenance technician certification. I'm like, well, if we're requiring them to have it, I should have it. And after I got them, And I would talk to other employees about, because they want to move up in the company. And they're like, well, what can I do to learn more? And I was like, well, this is how I learned. What do you think about doing this? And after a few employees that I saw get certified, they would start walking around the company with their chest held high. And they're so proud of themselves for what they accomplished. It just showed me that, um, you know, growing, like their history, some of them didn't even graduate high school, you know, we have some employees who, you know, cause in Guatemala you have to pay to go to school so that they didn't, their highest education is probably like third or fourth grade. So they never really went through something where they got to accomplish something like that. And so I started, um, encouraging the maintenance technician and it was kind of a logistical issue because you either drove two hours to Orlando at eight o'clock in the morning to take the test or, um, we didn't even have anything further south. So I, I had asked Mary at the time and Gary if we can host it at our site. And Mary, uh, Mary Mott, Mott mm-hmm. and Gary, our F and Jelly staff people that administer the, the certification programs, just so people know. Yeah. So they, so um, we were able to become a host site. And then I saw that the people coming to take the test had no idea what they're walking into and they had, they didn't really have or weren't prepared for it. So I'm like, well, I need to, we need to do like a training day beforehand so they can see our facility and get an idea of what we're doing. So then I started doing that. And then we started doing the landscape technician just recently. And I learned from rude, uh, Scott Fay, one of Scott Fay and Tom's employees, Jaron Sickler, he is their training, um, director and he was teaching a horticulture professional class at the company and he offered to for um, a couple of our employees to go over there and sit in on he didn't charge us anything so we sent um, two of our employees and they went and sat through their eight-week class and 
got their certification. And I thought that was just so awesome that they would share their resources like that. And so I would throw that offer out to them whenever we would hold our training. And then um, last year was the first year that I taught a FCHP course um, last summer. And, and just for our listeners, the FCHP is the FNGLA Certified Horticulture Professional. Mm-hmm. And it is more the entry level for people um, take that and then go on to do several of the other landscape certifications. Yeah. And because the employees who work in the field, they don't have the time to um, take off to go to these training courses and having it in the company readily available has greatly improved their um, ability to learn. You know, it's more available to them and having our, we're, meet once a week on Tuesday nights and I have nine people right now that come eight of them are my my employees and one's actually a past employee who's a property manager for one of our customers he's coming and we're just learning about horticulture the basics and they're really enjoying it and it's been a real fun I think um, Jenkins was the genesis of FNGLA now we take the review and test to individual companies sites uh, because it is so much easier for the employer to have the employees of course go through that on site rather than send them like you say to Orlando or another part of the state you know to take the test so thank you for opening that door for us so I don't know what um, started my idea of having a full day training. I think it was learning through our insurance agents that we have to have all these required trainings. Like you have to have documented training for your bucket truck, for your chains, like all this legal stuff we have to have documented. And I was like, why can't we just cram that all in one day? And so I, uh, we called it a rodeo and start first started in 2012. And I mimicked the, maintenance technician and landscape technician exam. We had stations and they would rotate throughout the stations throughout the day and they would just hit each um, topic and some of it was equipment, safety, and then just basic plant knowledge and um, how to plant a plant, how to mulch around plants. And the employees really loved it and um, we kind of made games from it. And so- Did they get prizes? Yeah. They would win. This past year, we gave out a paid day off. Oh, nice. Very nice. So a few years ago, I think it was pre-COVID, so 2019, uh, it was actually when I was on the board of uh, Treasure Coast Chapter. Uh, I was like, why don't I open this up? Because I have like an extra 10 spaces. And so um, I advertised it through the Treasure Coast Chapter, and I was able to raise like $1,700 or $1,500 to our chapter because I charge $100 a day ahead. And they would come out because I already had everything else set up. And so we brought in outside people. So um, other companies in the area came. And um, I'm hoping to expand that. Like my dream or goal is for it to be an industry-wide uh, training day and it's not just our company you know it's all the companies in Hope Sound like we all get together we bring in outside vendors like we would bring in um, Everglades farm equipment came this year but in the past Deb Jonak she would always come from Florida coast and bring her equipment so that the employees got to try out new equipment and and um, it was just a really great day to for everybody. It sounds like it. <laughs> sounds like it. Hopefully it will con- continue mm-hmm. and just get bigger. Um, so I'm interested in your um, role in the company. Traditionally, landscape contracting companies have been um, run by men. Um, Tommy mentioned Mr. Rude and his Popeye arms and... Um, and I'm just wondering, as a as a woman in that field, do you see differences and um, how things you're able to accomplish or struggle with that may vary from what your your dad or Stephen go through? I know your mom uh, was in the company too, so I'm sure you've learned a lot from her and and managing um, being the woman in charge. Yeah. So I just always have believed that women and men think differently. 
and I think it's been scientifically proven that we just have different brain neuro science. <laughs> and um, so I'm able to bring a different perspective and it's a little bit more compassion and um, can't really run things the way you used to back in the eighties where you can get in somebody's face and scream at them. And <laughs> you never <laughs> did any of that. No, never. <laughs> so uh, I think that's one of the main things I brought is kind of a different type of culture and um, a little bit more empathy and compassion to the employees and the industry. But um, we just have a different eye for things in the field. So walking places, um, just look at things differently and kind of, I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it. I think she brings uh, to the field a little more uh, organization, uh, accountability, you know, true accountability that you can measure uh, is what she is evolving to and brought to the table that would probably not have come um, otherwise. And that because she's somewhat involved with the, the office administration part and interacting in the, cause that's two distinct different areas of <laughs> different worlds. So um, it's, it's interesting to watch how, she operates differently than than Stephen, my son, does because he's exactly like me. He's just a bull in a china shop out there screwing trees in the ground, right? So, so uh, and loves equipment and loves loves the whole you know challenge of doing things. And and you know when Tommy and I were younger, we did too. But but she has a much more measured um, way of of doing things, and 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 I think it's it's brought a different. Um, it's brought us to a different place, which is, I, I think is good. Is it's it's a good thing. So. Right in the in the world of business now, the the um, dynamics from the administrative side are as important as what's going on to fulfill the customer's desires and what the banker wants. So, and you're fortunate you have the yin and the yang. It sounds like exactly. in the company, um, Harold when. You said you grew up in the company. Did you ever, I mean, your dad, you were out there. I think I, there's a picture on your website of you out oh. pulling weeds or something oh, yeah. with your dad standing there. Um, did you ever consider anything different or what are what are your well best memories of? I, I touched on a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I love mechanics and, and I always have it. And I think that has brought a level of, uh, level of um, something different to to our company and i'm just i'm distracted because i remember i'll call tommy up i go you know this truck is blowing blue smoke or black smoke you know have your guy change the air filter you know a diesel truck so you know and that that was my thing i drag raced i i rebuild engines and I did all of that. And I learned all of that in high school because, you know, high school I'd get out at three. So I'd work from three to five. And the only real area was either out in the nursery pulling weeds, which at that point in my life, I was kind of hopefully done with, but I'd work in the shop and I'd, uh, we had two extremely uh, talented mechanics and they spent time and taught me how to do to do that. And I got to love it. And, and so that was my only, I potentially could have been gone into the mechanic side of things. Um, and a race car driver. And a race, yeah, I don't know about I that. I remember but, yeah. coming uh, to Jenkins who gave me a tour. Um, and so landscape company, you go back in the garage and there was equipment, but there was some yeah. fancy muscle cars back right. there that yeah. you were working on. In my early years, I would call Harold when I had a question about buying a certain truck or a loader. I'd call him because he just had more experience about it and he was my advisor. So, but no, I'm, and I've, I've, um, I like the art. Probably I'm more of a, the being taught by Mr. Webble and, and, uh, and, uh, Fred stress on all this about symmetry and all of that, that, that was really my, my deal. The horticultural part was my dad's passion. The art part of it was my passion. Oh, it's, interesting. It's definitely different. Um, you know, and I relied on, 
on my employees more uh, about the horticulture science end of it, uh, where dad did not. He relied on the, he had a, a lot of landscape architects that worked in the, inside the building that he relied on them for the artistic part of it. So, um, anyway, it was, it, you know, that, that was the different from between him and I. Yeah. When, um, like a lot of our members, they start out family business. And I was reading this, um, statistic says about 40% of us family owned businesses turn into second generation businesses. So less than half you did that. Um, then only approximately 13% are passed down successfully to a third generation. So you're in a minority. Um, and only 3% to a fourth and beyond. How do you think you've been successful, um, in the family generational, um, transition and I know you're still transitioning I think it only would have been successful it's only been successful because my brother and I get along so well we are complete opposites and his strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa and that's I feel like if we were more similar we would butt heads and it, it just wouldn't have worked so the fact that we um, get along so well and my kids you know they're only five and seven now but they are, are telling me now Mom, I want to be a boss. I want to, <laughs> I want to work at Jenkins Landscape. I'm like, okay, that <laughs> you was, might have to work uh, with your cousins. I don't know how that will work. That was actually going to be one of my next mm-hmm. question. Is are your, uh, you think your daughters will be interested in, in getting the business? I guess they are. I, yeah, I mean, already they may change. Yeah, but. <laughs> maybe one of them will actually be a landscape architect, yeah. which is where I was trying to get her to go. Girl. There you go. And Tommy, you, I, I wanted to get a little bit of your. Um, entrance into the industry you didn't come in from a family business although you eventually did hire your dad it kind of went the other way mm-hmm. um but and you fired him yeah <laughs> and, um but how did you i know when we first met we learned we both had went to florida southern college in lakeland and it's a small school and we were surprised we never met each other there um, and you went there on a golf scholarship I went there on a golf scholarship, so that was <clears throat> that was my passion. But I grew up uh, indirectly in horticulture. <clears throat> I'll just never forget from being a young boy. My Irish grandfather had a home in Jersey. It wasn't big, but I'll never forget. He had a vegetable garden. So when we would go to his house in the summers, I wanted to take that old hoe and that had the single wheel and and the wooden handles and push it in that Jersey soil and just watch that soil ripple up and. I just loved it. And then he taught me how to push a lawnmower. But not only did he teach me how to push a lawnmower, but he also taught me that when you were finished, that you grabbed a chair and a glass of lemonade and you sat there and looked at and appreciated what you did. I mean, he he taught me that. I remember going back eight, nine years old. In fact, uh, I think you've all seen it on our website. is a picture of my brother and I getting lawnmowers for Easter back then that they weren't plastic they were metal and you could actually cut some grass but we're standing in front of their home in 1965 because we had gotten these little lawnmowers and so I always had an interest in it and then my mother actually um, taught me how to transplant a dogwood um, when I was probably nine or ten and then I grew up in a in a uh, middle class country club community so uh, started caddying at the club. And then, so you start caddying and then the guy that you're caddying for asks you to mow his lawn, just like the line from Caddyshack. So back then you caddied for $4 and 50 cents and it was $4 and 50 cents to cut a lawn. And I built up some clientele. Now I didn't have an interest in building a landscape company then, but I was probably mowing three and four lawns and, um, caddying every uh, Saturday and Sunday. And as you got older, we got a job at the club. So my interest was yeah, initially golf. Um, I worked at the club for 10 years. and um, You had prospects of going pro, didn't that you? Was, that was my intent. And then I went to Florida Southern on a scholarship, but I was very disciplined in high school. I played nine holes before school. I pulled out the carts because I worked at the club, played nine holes, and that was my dream. So I go to Florida Southern on a scholarship <laughs> 1,600 students, and a 1,000 of them were these lovely blondes. And uh, my, my disciplined uh, habits went down the tubes. I joined a fraternity, became a sorority sweetheart, and started drinking beer and lost my scholarship in two years. 
So, uh, but I was studying accounting. And at that time at Florida Southern, I decided there's no way I want to be stuck in an office the rest of my life. So I, tr- I transferred to uh, horticulture, but at Florida Southern back then it was citrus horticulture. So there were kids in my class that I didn't know it then that were from Vero Beach because their families, you know, Vero was the mecca of citrus back then. And so there were a lot of folks now that I know in town that were actually at Florida Southern when you and I were there because they were there for citrus horticulture. So uh, I actually got sick and then went back to Maryland and uh, had a friend that was building a house, renovating a house in Baltimore and helped him do that and then was going to University of Maryland moved in with him for a little bit. And then I took a job with the mom and pop garden center that I uh, was in our town and had, I didn't finish my degree, but had enough, you know, I'd had landscape design 101. I had drawings and uh, I worked there three years. So I did a year in residential sales was better than any college course I could have taken. They gave me the three copy contract forms and the work order forms and a calculator and a notepad, and back then there wasn't cell phones, so you'd come in and, like, call these people, and I'd call them and set up appointments. And I'll never forget my first sale in March or April of 1981 with Judy Bremerman was a $650 hedge. Oh, congratulations. But it was fun to go out on these appointments. So I'd I'd make three, four appointments a day, go visit these clients, and I'd go to the car and I'd write up the estimate. And these are little jobs. I mean, you know – we do half million. We even have a million dollar landscape job we're involved in right now. The, the houses that, that Jenkins and we are involved in is just crazy. But I was doing these little calls. I mean, that first year, I don't think I did a job over $3,500. So I'd write up the estimate and I was so proud and I'd go up and present it to them. They say, okay. And I'd say, can I get you know one third deposit? And they'd hand me a check and I'd go back to the office with these checks and contracts and that was like the greatest thing in the world. And then the next year I worked, uh, I managed the garden center, which was a great experience. But the owner's wife uh, worked there too. And she was this uh, German woman who was a very hard worker, but she had her way and I had mine and we just butted heads and it, it wasn't going to work. And she was the owner. I wasn't. So I left that as much fun as I did enjoy uh, working in the garden center. Uh, and then we decided to start into commercial sales. So my third year there, so I started in residential sales, garden center, and then commercial sales. So then I was more involved in these bigger jobs. So back then, just a little ad, cause uh, it's changed so much back then we didn't have, um, you know, online, you didn't have computers where you got right. the plans PDF or went to the print shop. There was something called the Dodge room. So you would subscribe to Dodge reports. So Dodge reports would send you weekly, any construction going on, and you could decide, I want the Baltimore area, I want the D.C. area, whatever. They would send that to you, and then you would go to the Dodge Room. And that's where all the plans were. But you weren't just gone there with landscape contractors. You were gone there with every trade there was. So you're fighting for plans. So you got to get the set. you got to open it up. you got to write down the plant list. And back then, there wasn't any estimating program. So we would use the accounting ledger sheet that had, I don't know, 18 or 20 columns. And we didn't bid uh, factor. We didn't 2-0 a plan or 3-0. We would do cost. So we started a cost plus program back then in 81. And it was the cost of the plan. And we'd put something in for freight and soil and mulch and labor and an overhead figure and a break even. And, I mean, it was all those columns by hand. And, you know, back then it might be a $50,000 job. It was, it took a long time. How long would it take you to do an estimate? Oh, it could take, you could spend a day on an estimate. Then... You weren't faxing or emailing the estimate. You would call the people on the list of bidders and find out if there was 20 listed, how many were still bidding. So that list of 20 was now maybe eight. And then you had to mail them a copy. Yeah, can you get me a copy of your bid? So you had to print it and mail it to them. So I was always mailing these bids out. So it took the process. You know, nowadays I can, I can bid a, uh, on the program I have, I can bid a $100,000 job in 30 minutes. And have it delivered or sent right. to the person. But the owner of the company was a, a really smart man. He was such a gentleman too, like like Roy. I was I've been very blessed to have had three or four great bosses in my career. But um, he started taking a computer course, and back then it was Lotus. Oh. It, was, it wasn't Excel. So he explained to me that the Lotus sheet was this big, and what did, what did I want? How on wide it? are you holding yeah, your yeah, arms? Like a big fish, as far <laughs> as I can. Tommy's get. got his arms two feet wide. <laughs> So we created the, um, I always call it page five. That was the information. So we put on there the quantity, 
the name of the plant, the size, a source, and the cost. And then we developed what was called the landscape factor. So we came up with nine factors, and it was like a one-gallon, three-gallon, a seven-gallon, a 15-gallon. We didn't have palms up there. It might be a two-inch caliper, four-inch caliper. So we came up with nine factors related to labor, mulch, all those things. So we would enter it, and then it would calculate your bid. So it would have the name of the plant and the quantity and give you a unit price. And then through the years, we would perfect it. Uh, even back in the day when we went over to Excel sheets. But my first boss uh, took a computer course, and he was an older gentleman back then, and uh, created this program that I've been using now for 40, 40 years. Oh, that's awesome. Some things are well worth holding on to. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to certification Erin shared with what, how she's, you know, taking advantage and, and using that um, now. You guys didn't have something. There was no certification, landscape certification, when, when um, you got going. And I remember many meetings with the landscape, FNGLA's landscape contracting steering committee saying, we need to get landscape contractors licensed and we need, you know, try and and uh, differentiate between uh, the qualities that you were talking about. That's our brand is, is the quality we provide. So the idea came forward. What about a certification program? And you were there day one of even talking about such a thing. Why did you think it was so important? Well, what it's FNGA had started the FCHP, which was great horticulture professional but we would talk about it in our landscape committee meetings and we felt that contracting was a whole different animal and that we should have a certification program for landscape contractors ideally we still wanted licensing but we knew that was a greater challenge to go through Tallahassee and get that approved there was only a handful of states that had it and we had talked to them and there was pros and cons so we felt the easiest thing to do was start a certification program within FNGA at the time that would be geared for landscape contractors. But as the FCHP was written at the time, you took a course, took a test, we felt that there should be some practicality. So we would have meetings related to what should be on the test. So we felt that there was definitely a written portion that should be uh, general horticulture, safety. I've always felt, even from not only back then, but that estimating and accounting are the two most important aspects of landscape contracting, even to this day, because it's such an easy entry field, uh, you know, and people learn by mistake, but there's not enough, there's still not enough education about estimating and accounting because really that's what keeps you going. Um, I'm sure Harold could tell you even back in his early days, I mean, that's just what it was all about. That's how you kept the flow going. So we felt that there should be a written portion and a practical so we sort of made a list of the different things. And then back then, FNGA sent myself and Marvin Gross to California to observe their test. And we went out there and watched all the different things they had. And we went to Colorado and watched their test. And that's how we came up with the original 13 stations, uh, which has evolved and changed through the years. And unfortunately, I know that Mary has dropped a couple. I still think Sod should be Sod. in the test. But. I was going to say it. <laughs> It's okay, Tommy. You can can have Sod. I've been complaining about it for 25 years. But uh, no, Sod's a very important aspect. I mean, not only are we laying new Sod, but we're always repairing Sod. And one of the biggest things I hear is that we didn't knit the new Sod to the old Sod properly. But anyway, okay. Sad Sod stories. I'll I'll back off. But um, so anyway, uh, the association was... Uh, on board and we went to the uh, board of directors and they approved it and we got approval to go ahead and start it and we had our first test right around the corner at Valencia and at that time you know we had to select judges so we didn't have people that had already taken the test you know we had to come up with industry experts so a few of the guys on committee and then we would try to find maybe another uh, you know legend in the industry to, to judge something. In fact, Roy was a judge on the first test, Mr. Rude. Yeah. He, we had him judge um, manding and propping, which we felt was a very important practical aspect. So uh, we went out to Valencia. Back then it took about two days to set up the test because it was the first one. In fact, the original sod portion was w- going to be what we saw in California. It was a 10 by 10 box. 
So what you did is you laid the sod and you had to put it in a brick-like pattern and there may have been trash or debris that you had to rake up and there may have been an irrigation head that you had to cut in. And then at the end, you would pick it up and stack it back on the pallet. So we figured, okay, guys are going to lay the sod, put it back. So the days that we're out there setting up for the test, we noticed that Valencia was uh, like grading an area. And we said, what are, you, what are you guys doing with that area? And they said, well, we're going to sod it. And I said, well, how would you like us to sod it? So I think the original test, Mary could tell me, but I want to say we had 30, 32 applicants for the first test. So we calculated uh, it was 100 square feet for, for each person. So we needed, what, 3,200 square feet. So Joe Bagley and I went out and, and painted out 32 10 by 10 sections for each applicant to lay their sod in. Uh, so that's how that came about. So we just, instead of getting one pallet of sod, though, we had to get a lot of sod. So we had to get a few pallets of sod. But uh, everything was on there, and it was uh, great participation. The problem with Roy was, you know, and this was the first test, and we didn't have training sessions like you guys do today, which are great. Roy was teaching them how to how to band a palm instead of testing them. How ever, to band ever a palm. the educator, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it, it was a, it was a great day and. Uh, we always appreciate the association's support, and uh, it's great to recognize what what Aunt Mary Mott has done through the years, and where people like Aaron have taken the program. It's it's just fantastic from where it started. What's your certification number, FCLC? I, I'm number sixty nine because I wasn't, you know, I I had to facilitate the first few, so I can't remember. I want to say I was maybe on the fourth or fifth text. But back then, we would only do once a year. And I think Mary got to the point where she was doing two a year and then started. <coughs> we used to always have it here in right. Orlando. It was just easier to facilitate. And then she started getting different sites around the year with um, contractors or people that were willing to host it and put it on. Do you know your number, Harold? I thought mine was in the 60s. Yeah, you and guys. You got years before me, so. Mine's easy to remember. Yeah. You guys um, put in uh, so much personal time on, I mean, like you said, it took two days just to set up things and you had your own companies or your work and uh, it was a huge commitment time-wise and then donations. I mean, I, we were always, that's how we did it was getting people to donate the equipment, the use of the equipment. So sometimes you were bringing up equipment or calling your suppliers, hey, will you do that? Um Looking at where we are now, do you feel like it was worth absolutely doing that? Absolutely. In fact, I'm not as involved in it as I used to be. But um, so we we do in-house training, and a lot of it's modeled after what the program is. Ours is actually going to 32 stations. So, uh, but just because we've been yeah, busy, sod. sod is absolutely in there. Not only is laying sod, but sod repair is a station. Okay, there you go. Because it's very important. But anyway. Um, so when I am involved in still testing employees, I'll, the, the original book, I mean, the things we developed back in 89, 90, I'll say to myself, this is pretty good, you know, this many years later. So uh, it's definitely important to the industry. And as we talked about labor, um, it's really important now to make sure they're trained. And it's, it's, it's a little bit harder, too, to train now. Um, I'll still joke, uh, you know, we have plan ID as part of the test. So when an employee hits their 90 days before they get a raise, they have to take plan ID. They have to identify 25 plants. They have to identify 50 tools. There's 10 safety-related items they have to identify, and then there's 10 horticulture questions. Um, so they've got 90 days to learn 25 plants, and they have to say it in English. So it still cracks me up that I have a guy that always called Plumbago Plumbingo. <laughs> so it is kind I of like funny to name. hear uh, the pronunciations that these guys, so they know it's important. So they'll, they will start learning, you know, trying. So what I do though, is I don't make them retake it. I highlight the ones they got. So it may take them two or three tries. And by that third try, they still may have five plants that we have to identify, but it's just it's very important. For more than 100 years, Farm Credit has provided the financing necessary for America's farmers. Whether you are looking to build a new greenhouse, increase inventory, or refinance your existing debt, Farm Credit stands ready to help get the right financing needed for your business. For more information or to find a location near you, visit our website at www.farmcreditflorida.com. Right now, we're going through, what did they call the great resignation? I think of it uh, uh, at 
FNJLA with a lot of our members are going through the great retirement and we have transitions happening in companies. Harold, I'm thinking with Aaron and Stephen taking on more the daily, you and Susan have time to, you know, travel. I know you love traveling around the world. Um, you work on, you have your cars. You could go do anything you wanted. And for some reason, someone who I know hasn't been particularly patient in the political world, you decided to run for county commissioner in Martin County. Now, what, what yeah. does Martin... <laughs> Just so people know, what does Martin County include? What? That's uh, Hope Sound, Indian Town, Stewart, <coughs> Souls Point, um, <coughs> Palm City. We have 160,000 residents. And why did you um, decide to step into that world? So um, Tommy and I both were very, and are very heavily, well, him not so much anymore, but uh, involved with our local chamber of commerce. Um the CRA community redevelopment agency evolved out of four countywide in Martin County out of, uh, out of actually our hope sound chamber, some ideas that we had of uh, cleaning up some blight in the community and, and uh, fixing up our downtown and creating a main street walkable community kind of thing. So this was a vision that had been going on for years and years and years. So, you know, literally back in 98, I think, uh, or mid-90s is when the chamber started the effort. The CRA program at the county level was started in 2000. And so Hope Sound had its own little um, set of ideas of what prioritized projects we wanted to do. So so the uh, each commissioner that came along that we all supported was rah-rah, yeah, we're going to get this done. And then six months later, we're doing something else that, is one of their pet projects. So um, the last commissioner prior to me actually wanted to close that that um, that whole thing down, um, the whole CRA thing throughout the county. Um, and I lost my mind. And I'll tell you the story is, again, Harry's standing at the bar with wife on one side and hair on the other side. And we're tired of listening to you, bitch, about this and this and that and the other. It's time for you to step up. And I had threatened to do it numerous times. So um, my entrance into the political career was literally hold my beer, watch this. Uh oh, so, so and I and there was and you know I, my it wasn't that narrow. There was some other issues and and some some um, you know bringing some business sense to a bureaucracy, which uh, I think I've done as best I can in a bureaucracy because we. The Martin County employees were just absolutely miserable. They were being abused by the electeds and all this other stuff. So <clears throat> I had some dear friends that worked for the county. So, you know, it was time for the, the kids to spread their wings. It was an opportunity for me to give back to my community. Uh, and I did. And I only intended to run one time. <clears throat> and so we did run. Luckily, I had a couple of other because you can't. I'm only one out of five. So I had... Um, some others that got elected um, and one that was already on the board. We set the course. We have the CRAs completely revitalized um, uh, and going forward. We've got you know accountability within each department of the of the county. We've we've got employees that feel appreciated and are happy and are producing and. Uh, a whole new mindset of a developer or a builder coming to me going, you know, that was a pleasurable experience. The last house I built was the worst experience of my life. This was pleasurable, helpful, and all this other stuff. So I got that kind of accomplished in the first year, not by myself, but with help. And I had planned on not running again, because this is not my cup of tea. And so I couldn't really find anybody else to step up to the plate. So nobody else ran against me. So guess what? I got it again. So I have two more years to the end of my second term. I believe in term limits. So um, I will be uh, traveling and uh, and uh, I have visions of buying a large piece of property up in the mountains of Virginia like my parents had when I was a teenager and my grandkids spending the summers up there with me and, and uh, shooting guns and doing all the redneck stuff I like doing. And, and so and the, the, hopefully, life those, is good. hopefully those days are right around the corner. But would you encourage 
others in our industry to run for local? Absolutely. You know what? It, it really, I mean, it is rewarding. It, it has been a rewarding experience. It's rewarding to see project things that you've wanted to, that your community's wanted to see done for 20 years and to bring that to the finish line and really know that the only reason it got to the finish line is because you did step up for your community. It is hugely rewarding. We got, you know, our, our, our ballparks were revitalized, our, our downtown main street and on street parkings now done. And, and, you know, I have got some small communities that I'm, that are, underprivileged that we're bringing up by bringing sewer and water into those communities. Uh, we have uh, a number of habitat projects, uh, affordable housing projects coming on and um, you know, which that <clears throat> brings that whole blight of those, those communities back up and increases the property values of these legacy owners that have generational owners of <clears throat> properties in these communities. It is very rewarding. To yeah. have a little thick skin, but don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be yeah. afraid to go and for it. Yeah. That's so, but it's been hugely rewarding. It's been a life experience that I'm very thankful that I was talked into doing. Yeah. Um, speaking of retiring, th- then, um, Tommy, you, your children are not opted to continue Ayala Landscape. Um, I know in the landscape world right now, we're seeing a lot of big companies acquire other companies um and some people are happy about that and some people want to maintain their company image beyond themselves you have a different uh, approach in the transition of your company because you're looking at retirement very soon possibly a little sooner than i expected but uh, basically i was made an offer i couldn't refuse but uh the landscape has changed in the landscape industry in fact harold and i were invited to one of the early meetings with Landcare back in 97. We were both approached to go to a meeting in Orlando when Mark Yon of Ground Control was uh, one of the original seven members. I mean, I never foresaw this gobbling up and growth with these companies happening in our industry because it's hard. I mean, you know, the only one that really has a chance of making a decent, uh, you know, extremely profitable is the owner, but you have to work your tail off. But this thing, these roll-ups started in 97 <clears throat> And we both declined at that time to participate, but, uh, but comp- we went through the process. We did, and we learned. That was one of the the biggest learning experiences I've had on the accounting side and and all of that. When we went through that process, if anybody and and I've encouraged my kids to, if you've got the opportunity, I didn't mean to steal your no, thunder right. here, but but if you've got the opportunity, doesn't mean you have to do it at the end. But going through the experience of valuation and and all of that was hugely beneficial and refocused uh, what's important and what's not, right? So not only did we go to a group meeting in Orlando, but they came to visit us too. Uh, Again, eventually we decided not to participate. But yeah, you gave them your financials, they analyzed your companies, but ultimately Harold and I found out that they wanted to put the thumb on you for certain levels of profit. And I think we both, we didn't want to people telling us what to do at the time. But uh, companies companies (laughs) such as Brickman, um, they started gobbling up companies. I mean, when I was in Maryland, Brickman was like maybe a 30 or 40 million a year company that had started in Chicago and had just opened a branch in D.C. So Mr. Brickman has been a client of mine in Vero Beach now for 15 years, but I love telling him in the story that I used to go to the Dodge room and I'd run into his salesman, you know, back there in the early 80s. Uh, and now that company, uh, which uh, investors bought the Brickman family out, so they were doing a billion dollars a year. Oh and, then, and then that company bought Valley Crest, who was doing a billion dollars a year. So that became Brightview, BV, became a $2 billion a year company. And the most recent uh, top 150 company poll that just came out last month in Landscape Management Magazine, uh, Brightview now does $2.5 million, billion a year. Um, but anyway, that's a um, lot of landscaping. So yes, in fact, in Vero, we've had three of my competitors have been bought out by, uh, down to earth, which is a company, uh, just North of here in Maitland. And I understand they've bought a few companies on the West coast. They actually approached us last fall, uh, about purchasing us. 
uh, of which we declined at the time. So what's happened with, with us is my goal was always to have Kelsey, my daughter, who worked for me for 10 years, take over the reins. But she told me five or six years ago, Dad, uh, I decided I want to go to this Bible college in California. So I know I needed another plan. So I had a young man approach me 11 years ago, this week actually, Dan Crisofoli, who had been working at Rock City, an FNGA member in, um, in Vero, and had come to work with me, but he wanted to be part of the game. So having seen what had happened to certain companies, the transition at Rood, and then Kelsey City's demise uh, back in the day, and Boynton's demise, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to give it away, but I knew I was going to have to bring someone else on board. You know, Mary, my wife used to say to me, how long are you going to work? And I'd say, I don't know, 70. And then through the years, it got a little bit lower, 67. But you had to have a plan. You had to have an exit strategy. So now I didn't have any children working in the business. So I brought Dan on as a partner, took a couple of years for us to get it gone, but made him a partner. And again, what I learned through the years is, you know, you, you got to let the ego go a little bit. You can't, you know, just because you've built this thing, you can't think it's worth 10 million or 5 million. You have to be appreciative. So what I did was um, when Dan started with me, the Vero office was doing 1.2 million a year. Like I'd had five years in a row and that was a nice size that I could manage 12, 14 employees. I knew every client, I knew every job, but we had to grow. So the next year we did 2 million then we did 3 million. And this year they'll probably do 10 million. So they wanted to grow and I established something with a bonus system that he could buy into the company through that. Five, six years ago, uh, a gentleman moved to town that I'd worked for his parents for a few years. And this is about the time Kelsey's leaving. So he was looking for a career change and he had a great personality. I got along with him well, introduced him to Dan and we hired him as a salesperson and he became general manager. But immediately he wanted to buy in and he had the ability uh, Dan was through sweat equity, but this guy could write a check. And I said, look, I just did this deal with Dan. I've got 51%. I don't want to give up my majority. So he sat tight. Well, within a year, Dan sold him half of his shares. So they became 24 and a half, 24 and a half. Immediately, uh, he approached me about buying me out. And I just, I don't know that I was quite ready yet. But our company has just become such an animal and God bless you, Aaron, you and Steven for taking it on. Cause it's, it's just a different game. I've learned that me, myself, I was happier with a smaller company and these guys had managerial training. Both of them were management. Pete used to be a headmaster of school. Dan used to work with enterprise and was a manager of enterprise stores and had worked with the chart house and management. I Harold knows I'd still like getting out in the dirt. So, you know, doing Matt, the job and sitting on the porch drinking the lemonade. Absolutely. And uh, so different things just started falling into place. And I said, okay, make me an offer. And uh, officially, uh, in two weeks on the 27th, uh, Pete is going to buy out my shares. And Pete and Dan will continue to run the company. And I'll stay on as a consultant for a year. Um, and then in the future, consult as necessary, but have made no plans to do anything else. I'll be back on the golf course for you. Maybe, maybe a little bit more golf, but and and travel as you're as you're doing, Harold, with uh, with my wife. But uh, it's it's a little bit sad, but I've come to grips with it, and uh, I'm very comfortable. I I would not have sold to this other company because what I have seen with two of the companies that bought my competitors in the last two years is I feel that there's been a decline in their in their companies. Our company has benefited from their demise because our sales have increased without even trying um, because well, clients are calling us more, you know, whereas like in Hope Sound and I would say when I was there, I felt, you know, if we were on the same level with Jenkins, I felt that I was there with our competition in Vero and they've kind of taken a slide and uh, Aiello is now to me the game in town and that's who everybody's calling. And I just feel it's important that these two guys continue to run the company that way. Well, the new owners, is a plan to keep the name Aiello Landscape? That's up to them. There's nothing in the agreement. I think they, in fact, the one reason Pete got involved, I think, because uh, I did a landscape job for him. That's how we met, but I knew his parents. And uh, the, the brand was what's, being being a small town, he realized that the brand was important there in town. So I think that's why he decided to do what he did. Mm -hmm. All right, here's our fast five. And uh, we'll start with Aaron. 
then Harold, then you, and then we'll switch it around. What's your favorite plant or tree and why? I have many different. Okay, one of them. <laughs> you can pick one. Um, What's your favorite pollinator plant? I would say the giant milkweed. It has such a different texture, and the flowers are just so alien looking. Um, but I just, I, that's my favorite pollinator plant right now. Good choice. Harold? Favorite tree? Favorite plant or tree? So I'm going to be embarrass myself completely because my son just planted this really cool tree in Brattlevale. Brattlevale? Petraea? Yeah. I Purple? No, it has a little tiny yellow flower. Yeah. Right or read something. Well, it's something that I never planted, never recognized. And then Stephen goes, you got to have this. And it is just, and it's been there for about two years now. It has matured into one of the most beautiful trees that I've I've, uh, anyway. That's a statement. And what yeah. is, uh, and do we know the name or we're not sure the name? I can't think of the botanical name right now, but we call it Bridal Veil. Vale. Yeah. Bridal Veil. Vale. Bridal Veil, vale, yeah. Okay. It changes with me. For years, it was coconuts. Um, a couple years ago, it was chenille, which I think is really cool because I have clients always asking me for something funky and unusual. And uh, this week, it's metanella. What's metanella? Metanella is a really cool plant. It doesn't like full sun, but uh, gets about three by three, has a big green leaf, and has a beautiful pink bract that hangs down. Nice. Nice. Okay. This is especially for the landscape people. You three. New question. New fast five question. So what's a piece of equipment you couldn't live without in your company? The loader. The loader. Harold? Yeah, we have quite a selection of loaders of different sizes because we our specialty is moving big stuff. So we could not do that without those pieces of equipment. Absolutely. Any specific one that is like for for a mechanical guy is high up on your list? Well, we have. Um, it's changed. Yeah, that's years ago. It was uh, it was Bobcats, and then it went to TCM. Was popular, and then right. they went out of business, and yeah. and then well, for us now it's cats. But there's a lot of different yeah. uh, caterpillars. The, the but smaller, there's a lot of different. The smaller articulating ones are the cats. The we have a, a three and a half yard, four yard uh, Komatsu, and then we have a John Deere. It's uh, a three yard machine. So it, yeah. No, they do the same thing. One is one is one. Right, exactly. I always love, uh, we rely on the loaders, but I always love the augers and felt that it was important for uh, making the job go a little quicker, saving them on digging. And then I, since my early days, I've just been fascinated with tree spades. And I was lucky enough that Roy, because I said, Tommy, you sell some jobs to get the tree spades and we'll buy a tree spade. So I sold some jobs back in the day and, we bought a $100,000 90-inch tree spade. So I always in love the tree spades, but uh, as I built my company, never felt I could afford it, so I didn't do it. But uh, that was always my favorite. Tree spades are amazing. Just They're cool. Looking. <laughs> um, okay, whoever thinks of this first answer, didn't have to go in any order, what is the quotation, mantra, or words of wisdom that you have like on your phone screen or computer screen or on your desk or somewhere you see it every day that you want to know, read, remind yourself every day that it inspires you. Well, my new mantra in in future retirement is carefree timelessness. Ooh, nice. I'm going to butcher this, but it's um, like you can't make everybody happy. That's good. Another way to say it. Well, that's pretty good. You can't, because that's true. You cannot make everyone happy. You can try, but it's not going to work. I had actually taken a screenshot of something that was put mine in the right frame of mind. Mine is do the very best you can do and be satisfied. Right. People are malcontents these days. They've done the best they can do. They allow things that are beyond their control to bother them to the point of adversely to their health. You know, and I, I spend a lot of time talking to my employees 
that <clears throat> higher level employees off the roof. You know, they're, they're stressing, freaking out about something that happened under their watch that at the end of the day, would their involvement or not, that, that it would not have turned out any other way. And it's making them miserable. So if you can go home at the end of the day feeling that you've done the best you can do, you are the best employee that I can ever ask for. No matter what happened. No matter what happened. It reminds me, one of my favorite words is, nevertheless. Yeah, there you go. Um, what book are you reading now or is on your reading list? Anchored. Anchored. <laughs> what is that? It's a, neuros, um, a neuroscience, how your body physiologically reacts to things. And it's just... I am really into the neuroscience right now. There's a lot of new Mm -hmm. science about it, and it is fascinating on our brain and how everything follows that. So I just got a new copy because I've had four or five copies that I've lent out that nobody's ever brought back. I've just got a new copy of A Land Remembered once again, and uh, I haven't started it yet, but I intend to read it again. I've read it four or five times. Everybody should read that book, period, that loves Florida. A Land Remembered by Patrick Smith. And, um, yeah, particularly the whole uh, pioneer story and then development of South Florida. Yeah, it's an excellent. It's uh, fictional nonfiction, I think, yeah. So as I've uh, gotten deeper into my faith the last 13 years, I'm, I'm more uh, reading faith-based books now instead of self-help and um, business books. But uh, So I'm in between two. One is Be a Man by Father Larry Richards and Living Joy by Chris Stefanik. Very good choices. Thank you. Now, of course, you know I have to ask this last one. In one or two words, what's um, the best benefit of belonging to FNGLA? I want to say community. To me, it's been the people. In fact, uh, I had text Bill Reese. You know, the reason I love coming back to convention every year is seeing my predecessors. You know, I was, growing up, I was a hero guy. And I was so fortunate to have so many great heroes. And I had so many great people in front of me as a young president. You know, Bill Reese, Mike Ramundi, Roy. Uh, and I loved going back in my early years. I mean, I'm, I was young enough that I had all these great mentors in front of me. Um, so I would absolutely, in fact, Bill said at convention, he, uh, it's, it's about the people. So I text him saying, it was great to see you and Mita. And he said, you're part of our second family. And that's, that's exactly how it is. And just like our friendship, we don't get to see each other as much anymore since I've moved to Vero. But uh, Harold is like a brother to me. Absolutely. Uh, my word is networking, and if anybody that owns a landscape company in the state of Florida that feels they can bring their company to the highest level they possibly can without having FNGLA as a tool to help you network, to help you work through things, to give you advice, to give you education, to give you trade shows, to give you everything that... that uh, FNGLA brings to the table, there's no way. There's no way you can do it. So buckle up and become a member. That's all there is to it. And get involved, as Mr. Rude would say. So Tuesday, uh, and this is the third time I've done this, I took my two partners over to Hazeltine Nurseries to visit Stephen's operation just because it's so impressive, and he's just been, again, a great uh, friend and mentor to be involved in. So when Kelsey first got involved, I took him over. When my Hope Sound partner got involved, I took him over. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no secrets. We all pay the same for labor. We all pay the same for plants. We all, equipment's the same. It's performance. So I learned this from Roy, too. If you can share and help make someone better, it just means you got better competition. Yep. And that's a good um, thought to end our episode on. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for listening to this episode of FNGLA's Plant People Podcast. We'd like to thank the Farm Credit Associations of Florida for sponsoring this episode. We would also like to thank the University of Florida's Orange and New Creative Lab 
in agricultural education and communication for producing our podcast. If you like this podcast and want to learn more about FNGLA, visit the FNGLA website, www.fngla.org.